0: Sir Dominic's Bargain, by Sheridan Le Fanu. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Manolakos. Sir Dominic's Bargain, by Sheridan Le Fanu. A Legend of Dunorin In the early autumn of the year eighteen thirty-eight. Business called me to the south of Ireland. The weather was delightful, the scenery and people were new to me, and sending my luggage on by the mail-coach route in charge of a servant, I hired a serviceable nag at a posting-house, and, full of the curiosity of an explorer, I commenced a leisurely journey of five-and-twenty miles on horseback, by sequestered crossroads, to my place of destination. By bog and hill, by plain and ruined castle, and many a winding stream, my picturesque road led me. I had started late, and having made little more than half my journey, I was thinking of making a short halt at the next convenient place, and letting my horse have a rest and a feed, and making some provision also for the comforts of his rider. It was about four o'clock when the road, ascending a gradual steep, found a passage through a rocky gorge between the abrupt termination of a range of mountain to my left and a rocky hill, that rose dark and sudden at my right below me lay a little thatched village under a long line of gigantic beech trees through the boughs of which the lowly chimneys sent up their thin turf smoke to my left stretched away for miles ascending the mountain range i have mentioned a wild park through whose sward and ferns the rock broke time worn and lichen stained this park was studded with straggling wood which thickened to something like a forest, behind and beyond the little village I was approaching, clothing the irregular ascent of the hillsides with beautiful and in some places discolored foliage. As you descend, the road winds slightly, with the gray park wall built of loose stone and mantled here and there with ivy at its left, and crosses a shallow ford, and as I approached the village, through breaks in the woodlands, I caught glimpses of the long front of an old ruined house, placed among the trees, about halfway up the picturesque mountainside. The solitude and melancholy of this ruin piqued my curiosity, and when I had reached the rude, thatched public house, with the sign of St. Columkill, with robes, mitre, and crozier, displayed over its lintel, having seen to my horse and made a good meal myself on a rasher and eggs, I began to think again of the wooded park and the ruinous house, and resolved on a ramble of half an hour among its sylvan solitudes the name of the place i found was dunorin and beside the gate a stile admitted to the grounds through which with a pence of enjoyment i began to saunter towards the dilapidated mansion a long grass-grown road with many turns and windings led up to the old house under the shadow of the wood the road as it approached the house skirted the edge of a precipitous glen clothed with hazel dwarf oak and thorn and the silent house stood with its wide-open hall door facing this dark ravine the further edge of which was crowned with towering forest and great trees stood about the house and its deserted courtyard and stables i walked in and looked about me through passages overgrown with nettles and weeds from room to room with ceilings rotted and here and there a great beam dark and worn with tendrils of ivy trailing over it the tall walls with rotten plaster were stained and moldy and in some rooms the remains of decayed wainscotting crazily swung to and fro the almost sashless windows were darkened also with ivy and about the tall chimneys the jackdaws were wheeling while from the huge trees that overhung the glen in somber masses at the other side the rooks kept up a ceaseless cawing As I walked through these melancholy passages, pepping only into some of the rooms, for the flooring was quite gone in the middle, and bowed down toward the center, and the house was very nearly unroofed, a state of things which made the exploration a little critical, I began to wonder why so grand a house, in the midst of scenery so picturesque, had been permitted to go to decay. I dreamed of the hospitalities of which it had long ago been the rallying place, and I thought, what a scene of red-gauntlet revelries it might disclose at midnight the great staircase was of oak which had stood the weather wonderfully and i sat down upon its steps musing vaguely on the transitoriness of all things under the sun except for the hoarse and distant clamour of the rooks hardly audible where i sat no sound broke the profound stillness of the spot such a sense of solitude i have seldom experienced before The air was stirless. There was not even the rustle of a withered leaf along the passage. It was oppressive. The tall trees that had stood close about the building darkened it, and added something of awe to the melancholy of the scene. In this mood I heard, with an unpleasant surprise, close to me, a voice that was drawling, and, I fancied, sneering, repeat the words, "'Food for worms, dead and rotten, God over all!' there was a small window in the wall here very thick which had been built up and in the dark recess of this deep in the shadow i now saw a sharp-featured man sitting with his feet dangling his keen eyes were fixed on me and he was smiling cynically and before i had well recovered my surprise he repeated the distich if death was a thing that money could buy the rich they would live and the poor they would die it was a grand house in its day, sir, he continued. Dunorn House and the Sarsfields. Sir Dominic Sarsfield was the last of the old stock. He lost his life not six foot away from where you are sitting. As he thus spoke, he let himself down with a little jump onto the ground. He was a dark-faced, sharp-featured little hunchback, and he had a walking stick in his hand, with the end of which he pointed to a rusty stain in the plaster of the wall. "'Do you mind that mark, sir?' he asked. "'Yes,' I said, standing up and looking at it, with a curious anticipation of something worth hearing. "'That's about seven or eight feet from the ground, sir, and you'll not guess what it is.' "'I dare say not,' said I, unless it is a stain from the weather. "'Tis nothing so lucky, sir,' he answered, with the same cynical smile and a wag of his head, still pointing at the mark with his stick. That's a splash of brains and blood. It's there this hundred years, and it will never leave it while the wall stands. He was murdered then. Worse than that, sir, he answered. He killed himself, perhaps? Worse than that itself, this cross between us and harm. I'm older than I look, sir. You wouldn't guess my years. He became silent, and he looked at me, evidently inviting a guess. "'Well, I should guess you to about five and fifty. He laughed and took a pinch of snuff and said, "'I'm that, Your Honor, and something to the back of it. I was seventy last Candlemas. You would not have thought that, to look at me.' "'Upon my word, I should not. I can hardly believe it even now.' "'Still, you don't remember Sir Dominic Sarsfield's death,' I said, glancing up the ominous stain on the wall. "'No, sir. That was a long while before I was born.' but my grandfather was butler here long ago and many a time i heard tell how sir dominic came by his death there was no mather in the great house ever since that happened but there was two servants in charge of it and my aunt was one of them and she kept me here with her till i was nine year old and she was lavin the place to go to dublin and from that time it was let to go down the wind shripped the roof and the rain rotted the timber and little by little in sixty years time it came to what you see but i have a liking for it still for the sake of old times and i never come this way but i take a look in i don't think it's many more times i'll be turning to see the old place for i'll be under the sod myself before long you'll outlive younger people i said and quitting that trite subject i ran on i don't wonder that you like this old place it is a beautiful spot such noble trees I wish you'd seen the glen when the nuts is ripe. They're the sweetest nuts in all Ireland, I think, he rejoined, with a practical sense of the picturesque. You'd fill your pockets while you'd be looking about you. These are very fine old woods, I remarked. I have not seen any in Ireland I thought so beautiful. (laughs) Heh, your honor, the woods about here is nothing to what they were. All the mountains around here was wood when my father was a gosson, and Moorwood was the grandest of them all. All oak, mostly and all cut down as bare as the road not one left here that's fit to compare with them which way did your honour come hither from limerick no killaloe well then ye passed the ground where murrow wood was in former times Ye come under Linzefora, the steep knot of a hill about a mile above the village here twas near that murrow wood was and twas there sir dominic sarsfield first met the devil the lord between us and harm, and a bad meeting it was for him and his. I had become interested in the adventure which had occurred in this very scenery which had so greatly attracted me, and my new acquaintance the little hunchback was easily entreated to tell me the story, and spoke thus so soon as we had each resumed his seat. It was a fine estate when Sir Dominic came into it, and grand doings there was entirely feasting and fiddling free quarters for all the pipes in the country round and a welcome for every one that liked to come there was wine by the hogshead for the quality and potine enough to set a town afire and beer and cider enough to float a navy for the boys and girls and the likes of me it was kept up the best part of a month till the weather broke and the rain spoiled the sod for the monine jigs and the fair of ali bali Kaludin. coming on they were obliged to give over the diversion and attend to the pigs but sir dominic was only beginning when they were laving off there was no way of getting rid of his money and estates he did not try what with drink and dice and racing cards and all sorts it was not many years before the estates were in debt and sir dominic a distressed man he showed a bold front to the world as long as he could and then he sold off his dogs and most of his horses and give out he was going to travel in france and the like and so off with him for a while and no one in these parts heard tale or tidings of him for two or three years till at last quite unexpected one night there comes a rapping at the big kitchen window it was past ten o'clock and old connor hanlon the butler my grandfather was sitting by the fire alone warmin his shins over it there was keen east wind blowin along the mountains that night and whistlin cold enough through the tops of the trees and sounding lonesome through the long chimneys and the story-teller glanced up at the nearest stack visible from his seat so he wasn't quite sure of the knocking at the window and up he gets and sees his master's face my grandfather was glad to see him safe for it was a long time since there was any news of him but he was sorry too for it was a changed place and only himself and old juggy broderick in charge of the house and the man in the stables and it was a poor thing to see him coming back to his own like that. He shook Con by the hand, and says he, I came here to say a word to you. I left my horse with Dick in the stable. I may want him again before morning, or I may never want him. And with that he turns into the big kitchen, and draws a stool, and sits down to take an air of the fire. Sit down, Connor, opposite to me, and listen to what I tell you, and don't be afeard to say what you think. He spoke all the time, looking into the fire, with his hand stretched over it, and a tired man he looked. "'And why should I be afeard, Master Dominic?' says my grandfather. "'Yourself was a good master to me, and so was your father, rest his soul, before you, and I'll say the truth and dare the devil, and more than that for any Sarsfield or the Ronin, much less yourself, and a good right I'd have.' "'It's all over with me, con,' says Sir Dominic. "'Heaven forbid,' says my grandfather tis past praying for says sir Dominic. the last guinea's gone the old place will follow it it must be sold and i am come here i don't know why like a ghost to have a last look round me and go off in the dark again and with that he told him to be sure in case he should hear of his death to give the oak box in the closet of his room to his cousin pat sarsfield in dublin and the sword and pistols his grandfather carried in O'Gram, and two or three trifling things of the kind and says he con they say if the devil gives you money overnight you'll find nothing but a bag full of pebbles and chips and nutshells in the morning if i thought he played fair i'm in the humour to make a bargain with him to-night lord forbid says my grandfather standing up with a start and crossing himself they say the country's full of men listing soldiers for the king of france if i light on one of them i'll not refuse his offer how contrary things goes how long it is since me and Cap'n Waller fought the jewel at Newcastle? Six years, Massa Dominic, and ye broke his thigh with a bullet the first shot. I did, Con, says he, and I wish instead he had shot me through the heart. Have ye any whisky? My grandfather took it out of the buffet, and the Massa pours out some into a bowl and drank it off. I'll go out and have a look at my horse, says he, standing up there was a sort of stare in his eyes as he pulled his riding cloak about him as if there was something bad in his thoughts sure i won't be a minute running out myself to the stable and looking after the horse for you myself says my grandfather i'm not going to the stable says sir dominic i may as well tell you for i see you found it out already i'm going across the deer park if i come back you'll see me in an hour's time but anyhow you'd better not follow me for if you do i'll shoot you and that'd be a bad ending to our friendship. And with that, he walks down this passage here, and turns the key in the side door at that end of it, and out with him on the sod into the moonlight and the cowled wind, and my grandfather see him walking hard toward the park wall, and then he comes in and closes the door with a heavy heart. Sir Dominic stopped to think that when he got to the middle of the dear park, for he had not made up his mind when he left the house, and the whiskey did not clear his head, only it gave him courage he did not fear the wind now nor fear death nor think much of anything but the shame and the fall of the old family and he made up his mind if no better thought came to him between that and there so soon as he came to murrow wood he'd hang himself from one of the oak branches with his cravat it was a bright moonlight night there was just a bit of cloud driving across the moon now and then but only for that as light almost as day Down he goes, right for the wood of Moreau. It seemed to him every step he took was as long as three, and it was no time till he was among the big oak trees with their roots spreading from one to another, and the branches stretching overhead like the timbers of a naked roof, and the moon shining down through them, and casting their shadows thick and twist abroad on the ground as black as my shoe. He was sobering a bit by this time, and he slacked his pace, and he thought it would be better to list in the French king's army and thrive what that might do for him, for he knew a man might take his own life any time, but it would puzzle him to take it back again when he liked. Just as he made up his mind not to make away with himself, what should he hear but a step clinking along the dry ground under the trees, and soon he sees a grand gentleman right before him coming up to meet him. He was a handsome young man like himself, and he wore a cocked hat with gold lace round it, such as officers wear in their coats. "'and he had on a dress the same as French officers wore in them times. "'He stopped opposite Sir Dominic, and he come to a standstill also. "'The two gentlemen took off their hats to one another, and says the stranger, "'I am recruiting, sir,' says he, "'for my sovereign, "'and you'll find my money won't turn into pebbles, chips, and nutshells by tomorrow.' "'At the same time he pulls out a big purse full of gold.' the minute he set eyes on that gentleman sir dominic had his own opinion of him and at those words he felt the very hair standing up on his head don't be afraid says he the money won't burn you if it proves honest gold and if it prospers with you i'm willing to make a bargain this is the last day of february says he i'll serve you seven years and at the end of that time you shall serve me and i'll come for you when the seven years is over when the clock turns the minute between february and march and the first of march you'll come away with me or never you'll not find me a bad master any more than a bad servant i love my own and i command all the pleasures and the glory of the world the bargain dates from this day and the lease is out at midnight on the last day i told you and in the year he told him the year was easily reckoned but i forget it and if you'd rather wait, he says, for eight months and twenty-eight days before you sign the writing, you may, if you meet me here, but I can't do a great deal for you in the meantime, and if you don't sign it then, all you get from me up to that time will vanish away, and you'll be just as you are tonight, and ready to hang yourself on the first tree you meet. Well, the end of it was, Sir so Dominic chose to wait, and he came back to the house with a big bag full of money, as round as your hat most my grandfather was glad enough you may be sure to see the master safe and sound again so soon into the kitchen he bangs again and swings the bag of money on the table and he stands up straight and heaves up his shoulders like a man that has just got shut of a load and he looks at the bag and my grandfather looks at him and from it to it and back again sir Dominic looked as white as a sheet and says he i don't know con what's in it it's the heaviest load i ever carried he seemed shy of opening the bag and he made my grandfather heap up a roaring fire of turf and wood. And then at last he opens it, and sure enough, 'twas stuffed full of gold guineas, bright and new as if they were only that minute out of the mint.' Sir so Dominic made my grandfather sit at his elbow while he counted every guinea in the bag. When he was done counting, and it wasn't far from daylight when that time came, Sir so Dominic made my grandfather swear not to tell a word about it, and a close secret it was for many a day after. When the eight months and twenty-eight days were pretty near spent and ended, Sir Dominic returned to the house here with a troubled mind, in doubt what was best to be done, and no one alive but my grandfather knew anything about the matter, and he not half what had happened. As the day drew near, toward the end of October, Sir Dominic grew only more and more troubled in mind. One time he made up his mind to have no more to say to such things, nor to speak again with the like of them he met with in the wood of Murrow then again his heart failed him when he thought of his debts and he not knowing where to turn then only a week before the day everything began to go wrong with him one man wrote from london to say that sir Dominic paid three thousand pounds to the wrong man and must pay it over again another demanded a debt he never heard of before and another in dublin denied the payment of a thundering big bill and sir Dominic could nowhere find the receipt and so on with fifty other things as bad but well, by the time the night of the twenty-eighth of october came round he was almost ready to lose his senses with all the demands that was rising up again on all sides and nothing to meet them but the help of the one dreadful friend he had to depend on at night in the oak wood down there below so there was nothing for it but to go through with the business that was begun already and about the same hour he went last he takes off the little crucifix he wore round his neck for he was a catholic in his gospel "'and his bit of the true cross that he had in the locket, "'for since he took the money from the evil one "'he was growing frightful in himself "'and got all he could to guard him "'from the power of the devil. "'But tonight for his life "'he daren't take them with him, "'so he gives them into my grandfather's hands "'without a word, only he looked as white "'as a sheet of paper, and he takes his hand "'and sword, and telling my grandfather "'to watch for him, away he goes "'to try what would come of it. "'It was a fine still night,' and the moon not so bright though now as the first time was shining over heath and rock and down in the lonesome oak wood below him his heart beat thick as he drew near it there was not a sound not even the distant bark of a dog from the village behind him there was not a lonesomer spot in the country round and it wasn't for his debts and losses that was driving him on half mad in spite of his fears for his soul and his hopes of paradise and all his good angel was whispering in his ear He would have turned back and sent for his clergy and made his confession and his penance and changed his ways and led a good life for he was frightened enough to have done a great deal softer and slower he stepped as he got once more in under the big branches of the oak trees and when he got in a bit near where he had met with the bad spirit before he stopped and looked round him and felt himself every bit turning as cold as a dead man and you may be sure he did not feel much better when he seen the same man stepping from behind the big tree that was touching his elbow almost. You found the money good, says he. But it was not enough. No matter you shall have enough to spare. I'll see after your luck, and I'll give you a hint whenever it can serve you. And any time you want to see me you only have to come down here, and call my face to mind, and wish me present. You shan't owe a shilling by the end of the year, and you shall never miss the right card, the best throw, and the winning horse. Are you willing? The young gentleman's voice almost stuck in his throat, and his hair was rising on his head, but he did get out a word or two to signify that he consented. And with that the evil one handed him a needle, and bid him give him three drops of blood from his arm, and he took them in the cup of an acorn, and gave him a pen, and bid him write some words that he repeated, and that Sir Dominic did not understand and too thin slips of parchment. He took one himself, and the other he sunk in Sir Dominic's arm, at the place where he drew the blood, and he closed the flesh over it. And that's as true as you're sitting there. Well, Sir Dominic went home. He was a frightened man, and well he might be. But in a little time he began to grow easier in his mind. Anyhow he got out of debt very quick, and money came tumbling in to make him richer, and everything he took in hand prospered, and I never made a wager or played a game but he won and for all that there was not a poor man on the estate that was not happier than sir Dominic. so i took again to his old ways for when the money came back all came back and there were hounds and horses and wine galore and no end of company and grand doings and diversion up here at the great house and some said sir Dominic was thinking of getting married and more said he wasn't but anyhow there was something troubling him more than common and so one night unknown to all away he goes to the lonesome oak wood it was something maybe my grandfather thought was troubling him about a beautiful young lady he was jealous of and mad in love with her but that was only guess well when sir dominic got into the wood this time he grew more in dread than ever and he was on the point of turning and laving the place when who should he see close behind him but my gentleman seated on a big stone under one of the trees in place of looking the fine young gentleman in gold lace and grand clothes he appeared before, he was now in rags. He looked twice the size he had been, and his face smutted with soot. And he had a murdering big steel hammer, as heavy as a half hundred, with a handle a yard long across his knees. It was so dark under the tree he did not see him quite clear for some time. He stood up and he looked awful tall entirely. And what passed between them in that discourse, my grandfather never heard but sir dominic was as black as night afterwards and hadn't a laugh for anything nor a word almost for anyone and he only grew worse and worse and darker and darker and now this thing whatever it was used to come to him of its own accord whether he wanted it or no sometimes in one shape and sometimes in another in lonesome places and sometimes at his side by night when he'd be riding home alone till at last he lost heart altogether and sent for the priest The priest was with him a long time, and when he heard the whole story, he rode off all the way for the bishop, and the bishop came here to the great house next day, and gave Sir Dominic a good advice. He told him he must give over dicing and swearing and drinking and all bad company, and live a virtuous steady life until the seven-year bargain was out. And if the devil didn't come for him the minute after the stroke of twelve, the first morning of the month of March, he was safe out of the bargain there was not more than eight or ten months to run now before the seven-year wore out and he lived all the time according to the bishop's advice as strict as if he was in retreat well you may guess he felt queer enough when the morning of the twenty eighth of february came the priest came up by appointment and sir dominic and his reverence wore together in the room you see there and kept up their prayers together till the clock struck twelve and a good hour after and not a sign of a disturbance or nothing came near them and the priest slept at night in the house in the room next sir Dominic's, and all went over as comfortable as could be and they shook hands and kissed like two comrades after winning a battle so now sir Dominic thought he might as well have a pleasant evening after all his fasting and praying and he sent round to half a dozen of the neighbouring gentlemen to come and dine with him and his reverence stayed and dined also and a roaring bowl of punch they had and no end o wine and a swearing and dice and cards and guineas changing hands and songs and stories that wouldn't do any one good to hear and the priest slipped away when he seen the turn things was taken and was not far from the stroke of twelve when sir dominic sitting at the head of his table swears this is the best first of march i ever sat down to with my friends it ain't the first of march says mr Hiffinan of balivarine he was a scholar, and always kept an almanac what is it then says sir dominic starting up and dropping the ladle into the bowl and staring at him as if he had two heads it is the twenty-ninth of February, leap year,' says he. "'And just as they were talking, the clock strikes twelve, "'and my grandfather, who was half asleep in a chair by the fire in the hall, "'opening his eyes, sees a short square fellow with a cloak on, "'and long black hair, pushing out from under his hat, "'standing just there while you see the bit of light shining against the wall.' "'My hunchback friend pointed with a stick to a little patch of red sunset light "'that relieved the deepening shadow of the passage. "'Tell your master,' says he, in an awful voice like the growl of a beast. that I'm here by appointment, and expect him downstairs this minute. Up goes my grandfather, by these very steps you are sitting on. Tell him I can't come down yet, says Sir Dominic, and he turns to the company in the room, and says he with a cold sweat shining on his face. For God's sake, gentlemen, will any of you jump from the window and bring the priest here? One looked at another, and no one knew what to make of it, and in the meantime up comes my grandfather again, and he says trembling he says sir unless you go down to him he'll come up to you i don't understand this gentleman i'll see what it means says sir Dominic, trying to put a face on it and walking out of the room like a man through the press-room with the hangman waiting for him outside down the stairs he comes and two or three of the gentlemen peeping over the banisters to see my grandfather was walking six or eight steps behind him and he seen the stranger take a stride out to meet sir Dominic and catch him up in his arms and whirl his head against the wall and with that the hall door flies open and out goes the candles and the turf and wood-ashes flying with the wind out of the hall fire ran in a drift of sparks along the floor by his feet down runs the gentleman bang goes the hall door some comes running up and more running down with lights it was all over with sir dominic they lifted up the corpse and put its shoulders against the wall but there was not a gasp left in him it was cold and stiffening already. Pet Donovan was coming up to the great house late that night, and after he passed a little brook that the carriage track up to the house crosses, and about fifty steps to this side of it, his dog, that was by his side, makes a sudden wheel, and springs over the wall and sets up a yowling inside you'd hear a mile away. And that minute two men passed him by in silence, going down from the house, one of them short and square, and the other like Sir Dominic in shape but there was little light under the trees where he was and they looked only like shadows and as they passed him by he could not hear the sound of their feet and he drew back to the wall frightened and when he got up to the great house he found all in confusion and the master's body with the head smashed to pieces lying just on that spot the narrator stood up and indicated with the point of his stick the exact site of the body and as i looked the shadow deepened the red stain of sunlight vanished from the wall and the sun had gone down behind the distant hill of Newcastle, leaving the haunted scene in the deep gray of darkening twilight. So I and the storyteller parted, not without good wishes on both sides, and a little tip which seemed not unwelcome from me. It was dusk and the moon up by the time I reached the village, remounted my nag, and looked my last on the scene of the terrible legend of Dunorin. End of Sir Dominic's Bargain